stand to your feet just real quick. It's a tradition that we try to keep to honor the reading of God's Word. I think it's a good tradition. Amen? Amen. I'm excited to get the opportunity to preach to you. Pastor Brown and Miss Sherry, I believe with Alyssa and Aaron, are at Gulf Shores. And so I talked to Pastor Brown on Wednesday because I had something in my heart I wanted to preach, but I didn't want to preach what he was going to preach because he said some things last week that were close to what I was thinking. He said, no, you're good. Go ahead. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm sitting here watching dolphins. <laughs> he said, but I'd rather be watching cows. So anyways, that's where he's at, but they're having a great time. They'll be back tomorrow, so he'll be preaching next week. But anyways, uh, pray for me as I'm preaching. I need all the encouragement that I can get, but I'm looking forward to it. So Romans chapter 6, if you've got your Bible, I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 6, and I'll wait for you. I think it's a good thing if you have a copy of the scriptures to get familiar with them. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you. So Romans chapter 6, just going to read four verses. I'll give you just a moment to find it. It's one of my favorite sounds, flipping through the scriptures. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And here's his answer, by no means. Some translations, God forbid. It's very strong. Then he goes on to say, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's a powerful passage of Scripture. I want to draw your attention real quick to verse 3 again. Just that very first part, and that's going to give you a little bit of an idea of why I chose this. Do you not know? Paul says, do, do you not understand? Do you not know the power of baptism? And so I want to preach to you today a message entitled... See the exclamation point, so i got to say it loud. I hope the speakers don't blow out. I am baptized. And I want to teach you the power of water baptism. I know we talk a lot about spirit baptism, but I'm talking about water baptism today. And I want you to be able to leave here with confidence and say the words, I am baptized. And I want to show you the power that goes with that. So, by the grace of God, we'll accomplish that today. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you. And I pray, God, that you would use me to speak your word. Lord, it's not in my strength or my power. It's, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so we pray, Lord, do a mighty work in and through your people today. God, give us faith to believe, faith to receive, and to be transformed by the power of your Word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I'm trying something a little different without the pulpit right in front of me today, because I, I don't want to rely too heavily on the notes. I promise you I've prepared as much as I possibly can. I've wanted to preach on baptism for a while. I thought it was kind of interesting that as I was thinking about preaching on baptism, we discovered we were going to have a baptism service. And so I thought, man, that's awesome. But in my heart is not so much to preach to encourage you to be baptized. Absolutely, that's a part of it. If you haven't been baptized and you're a believer in Jesus, you need to be baptized. But I want to teach you what it means to be one of the baptized, one of the people that belong to Jesus. So that's the angle that I'm taking and I came across a story a few years ago about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a Protestant reformer, but he started out as a Roman Catholic monk. And he famously nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And these 95 theses were statements where Luther said, I think the Catholic church is, is going against Scripture in these areas. 
there's some practices and some things that he saw that he didn't agree with. Now, he didn't want to disconnect from the Roman Catholic Church at that time. He just said, I want to talk about these things. I think some things need to be changed. The reality is that didn't happen. Eventually, he had to break away, and you have what's called the Protestant Reformation. But during this time, Luther was taken, and he was put on trial. And what they were wanting Luther to do was to recant of the beliefs that he had come to hold. And Luther famously stood there on trial. They're expecting and wanting him to recant. And he says, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. What a powerful statement to the authority of God's word. Luther's essentially saying, I can't recant of these things because I see them in the word of God. And if the word of God says it, then I believe it. And so, amen to that. We all need to remember that. So Luther, uh, he, he won't recant, but they give him safe passage. They grant him safe passage to get back to Wittenberg because he's made many enemies at this point. But he also made some people that believed in what he was teaching. Even some of the nobles believed in what he was teaching. And so he's granted safe passage back to Wittenberg, but there's a particular noble named Frederick who doesn't believe this safe passage is going to be all that safe. So he actually sets up a mock kidnapping. He has Luther kidnapped on his way back to Wittenberg because he doesn't think he's going to make it there safely. And he wants Luther's work to continue. So he sets up a friendly kidnapping. He kidnaps Luther. They take him to the castle at Wartburg, Germany. And Luther spends 10 months in seclusion in the castle at Wartburg. Grows out a beard, takes a different name, does all of these things to protect his identity. And he continues his work. And it's during this time that he writes a copy of the New Testament from Koine Greek to German so that the common people can read the scriptures. That's a great work that he did, getting the scriptures into the hands of the common people. But it's also during this time that Luther faced some of his most intense spiritual struggles. God is shedding light on the truth of salvation by justification through faith alone, that you believe in Jesus and you are saved. Not faith plus works, but you're saved by salvation, by faith in Christ alone. And if you are truly saved, you'll bring forth good works. But it's not faith plus, it's faith alone. And he, he writes this copy of the New Testament in German, and as he's going through all of this, he experiences these intense struggles and he at sometimes would say I could sense the presence of Satan himself in the room with me and Luther would actually at times take the inkwell that was on his table and he would pick it up and he would hurl it across the room in the direction that he believed Satan was standing it's that intense and when he would throw it across the room he would say baptizas sum baptizas sum what does that translate to I am baptized so I'm reading this and going, man, as a Pentecostal, there's a lot of things we would say. I'm not sure we would say I'm baptized. So what was it that led Luther to have confidence to say to the enemy of our soul, I'm baptized? Well, see, Luther understood something about baptism that the early church understood. Many Christians today still understand this. But some of us haven't seen these things. And so today I want to take the example of the early church there's three questions that they would ask you before you got baptized. And they weren't questions of affirmation. They were questions of renunciation. Do you renounce these three things? Then you would profess faith in Jesus. I'm not saying we have to do these things. We don't find them necessarily in Scripture. All that it takes to be baptized is repentance and faith in Jesus. That's a valid baptism. 
Just because you weren't asked these three questions, it's okay, but I do think they're helpful, and so I want to bring these three questions to bear because they, they ask you to renounce the three primary enemies of God's people, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Paul highlights these enemies in Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world. There's the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's the devil. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so these three questions ask you to renounce these three things before you place your faith in Jesus and before you're water baptized. And so I want to look at these and I want to teach the power of baptism concerning these three things. Question number one. Question number one is this. Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? And the answer, I renounce them. You see, you're taking a stand against these things. And, and what the early church understood and what Luther understood and, and many Christians even to this day is that baptism is in some way, shape, or form a means of spiritual warfare. That you're standing and taking your stance against the world. And so, do you renounce the things of this world? Yes, I renounce them. And so when we say the world, what do we mean by the world? Well, I mean the fallen world. I don't mean the creation. At the end of Genesis, what does God say? He created everything. He said it was very good. So we're not talking about creation. We see that after Adam and Eve sinned, yes, all of creation fell under the power of the enemy. And you see the effects of sin and broken relationships and even all of creation's crying out. We understand that. But in Revelation, God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. God is for the creation. So when I say the world, or when scripture talks about the world being an enemy, what are, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the fallen world system. We're talking about sinful men and women empowered and influenced by Satan with an anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-truth agenda. And it plays out in so many different ways. False ideologies, false beliefs and practices, false religions, corrupted and wicked governments, all of these things that we see when they promote these these things that they call truth that oppose the truth of God. We see the world, and Scripture even says that Satan is the God of this world. Lowercase g, God of this world. That all of the world is under the power of the devil. And so we see, anytime you see these type of things they are pushing against, we could just sum it up and say it's the kingdom of darkness. It's the area and the sphere of influence that Satan still has upon sinful men and women. And so this kingdom of darkness goes forward with all of its different ideologies, things such as materialism. In the world we live in, uh, the, the gospel is typically get all that you can, earn all that you can, save all that you can, live the best life that you can because that's all you've got. Get as much stuff as you can possibly amass and you're going to have happiness and joy. Well, that scripture stands at odd against that. Scripture says, you know, God will bless you with things, but it's not ultimately about possessing things. How hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So somebody that believes in materialism is going to struggle when God tells you to get rid of those things and follow Christ. What about hedonism? Get all the pleasure that you can get. If it brings you pleasure, then you need to pursue it, even at the expense of somebody else. Well, well Scripture says deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow 
Christ. But the world and this fallen world system would say, if it brings you pleasure, if it brings you happiness, if it brings you joy, then you go consume all of it that you can stand because this is the only life you have. But the Bible says no. What about skepticism, atheism, agnosticism? God doesn't even exist. Scripture says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 19, all of creation declares that God has created, that God is true, that God exists. Now, I'm not talking about people that are wrestling, genuinely wrestling and saying, I don't understand, but I'm talking about people that say, God does not exist. They choose to reject, they choose to suppress the truth of God. They say, God is not real, God does not exist. What are they ultimately saying? I'm the highest authority. They may not say that, but that's what they mean. Because the moment you say that God exists and the moment that you say God's word is true, well, guess what? You are under authority. We don't want to live under authority. And I think it's interesting that Satan himself doesn't even say that God doesn't exist. But he's happy to lead people to say it. So why do I bring this up? Because there's another kingdom. There's the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of Christ. And it's right in this context that Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 gives what's known as the Great Commission. And most every time I hear somebody talk about the Great Commission, they start with go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? That's where we start. Before you go, you need to read verse 18. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So Jesus is saying, because of my life, because of my death, because the shedding of his blood, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, his soon-to-be ascension to the right hand, he's saying, I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I have conquered sin, death, and the grave. I'm about to ascend to the right hand of God. I have all power. I have all authority. And yes, even though the kingdom of darkness will remain, it has been struck a deadly blow at the cross and resurrection. And one day Christ will return and take all things out and make all things new. So when you stand in the waters of baptism, whether you knew it or not, you were making a pledge to this church family, to this world, to the heavenly host, that I don't belong to the kingdom of darkness anymore. I've been saved by faith in Jesus. I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You have no more authority over me because I belong to the one who holds and possesses all authority and power. It's a declaration that you're making. And it's so amazing to me that he says you're going to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Greek, you could translate that into the name. Into the name. And that got me to thinking about the third commandment. The Lord said to the people of Israel, you will not take my name in vain. And and typically, what do we mean when we say that? Don't use his name as a cuss word. You better not be doing that. But that's just a part of it. There's far more to it. You see, in the Hebrew, that word take, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. It means to to bear, to carry, and to lift up. See, the people of Israel had a unique privilege to bear, to carry, to lift up the name of God. And God said, don't do that in an unworthy manner. I've placed my name on you. You must carry it in a way that is worthy of that name. 
When you got baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's as if God put his name on you. That's why scripture can say you put on Christ. You should walk worthy of the calling because you have the name of God placed upon you. So yes, the way that you speak matters. Yes, the things that you do matters. Yes, the things that you don't do, they all matter. Why? Because you belong to Christ. And so when the world comes against you, because it will come against you, and when it pushes all of these false beliefs and ideologies and all these practices and all of these different things, and you feel that crushing in upon you, what can you say? Well, one thing you can say when you understand baptism is you can say to the world as loud as you possibly want, I am baptized. I belong to Jesus. Amen? Question number two. Question number two is this. Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you? Catch this. They were so, they, they understood the power of the flesh that draw you away from the love of God. Answer, I renounce them. See, this is the heart of Romans chapter 6. Paul is, he's coming out of Romans. The book of Romans is the Mount Everest of theology. I mean, it's just unbelievable the depths and things that Paul is able to express. And so you've got justification by faith. You've got the grace and power of God. And Paul taught the power of God's grace in such a way that people would say, well, if grace is that powerful, and if you're saying, Paul, that when sin abounded, more grace was poured out, well, then let's just keep on sinning so that more grace comes. Enter Romans 6, God forbid. And, and to correct this incorrect thinking, Paul says, don't you know that you've been baptized? So he brings in this understanding of baptism to wage war against the flesh that wants to run after the things of sin. And Paul says that through baptism, two things happen. You were united with Christ in his death. Scripture speaks in such a way that when we place our faith in Jesus, it's as if our old man was crucified with him. That the sin and the penalty for our sin was placed upon Christ. He is our substitutionary atonement. He took our sin upon himself. That's why Paul can say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith. But Paul can reckon himself dead to sin because it's as if your old man was crucified. The penalty that you paid or that you owed to God was paid not in partial but in full at the cross. So what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what happens is the flesh is kind of like the kingdom of darkness. Even though it has been destroyed, even though it's been crucified, for a time and season it still tries to work against us. So what do you do when it tries to remind you of all the sinful things that you did? When it tries to bring condemnation upon you, you say, I am united with Christ in his death. You see, through the death of Christ, God has taken away the guilt of your sin. What a powerful truth that is. That's why in baptism, you go down into the waters. You are buried. The old man was buried in the water. I remember a story of a rich man that decided to get baptized, and he wore his three-piece suit, expensive three-piece suit. Preacher said, you don't want to do that. You're going to ruin it. He said, that's the whole purpose, because this suit is tied to my sinful nature. So he wanted to bury that thing in baptism. So you're united with Christ in his death. God has forgiven you of the penalty of your sin. There is no more guilt for you as a child of God. But not only is God giving you power over the guilt of your sin, there's a reason why we don't keep you in the water and shoot you immediately to heaven. 
You come out of the water in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only are you united with Christ in his death, you're united with Christ in his resurrection. The life of God is now on the inside of you. Your sins have been forgiven. Yes and amen. There is no more guilt. But guess what? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Not only are you forgiven, church, you're empowered to live a life that is pleasing to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, pictured in baptism, buried with Christ, raised to newness of life. I can say to the flesh, when the flesh tries to rise up and say, don't you remember the things that you used to do? I can say, I'm forgiven. I'm united with him in his death. When the flesh tries to pull me away to the things of this world, I can say, you better shut your mouth because I'm united with Christ in his resurrection. And I am baptized, therefore you have no place. You have no authority in my life. So it's here I've got I've to say something pastoral. And it's going to be strong, but it's done out of love. If you believe in Jesus and you have not been baptized, you are living in disobedience. You are giving place to the flesh where God wants to close its mouth. And so I don't know the reasons why you may be believing in Jesus and professing faith in Jesus, but choosing not to be baptized. But I want to say it as a pastor, that is disobedience to God. And so when the flesh rises up in your life, it's going to remind you of that point. And you're not going to be able with confidence to say to the flesh, I'm baptized, that I've been fully obedient to God. My heart's desire for you is to have a clear conscience and to fully obey God in all that he says for you to do. Be baptized. Follow Jesus. Follow the words that he says. The first thing that he tells us to do, be baptized. Sometimes people say, well, I just, God's just not moving in my life. Well, go back to the last thing he told you to do and do it and see what happens. And if you haven't been baptized, I'm not saying you're saved by baptism. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But the faith which we are saved with should be evidenced through water baptism so that you can have a clear conscience before God. Shut the mouth of the flesh so you can say, I am baptized. Amen? Amen. Point number three. Point number three. Question number three. Last one. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Answer, I renounce them. Did you know in baptism that you made a declaration against the devil and the spiritual forces of wickedness? That you renounced them and you announced that you belong to Christ. Last week, Pastor Brown stood here and he preached on Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 is the parting of the Red Sea where the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea. They've been brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God. By the blood of the Lamb, they are set free and they begin their journey. But guess what happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, I'm not going to let them go free. Let's go destroy them. So now the armies of Egypt are seeking the people of God. And right there at the Red Sea, God supernaturally sets up a barrier of protection between the people of Israel and the armies of Egypt. And then God supernaturally parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel begin to pass through. And remember that, they passed through the waters. This is a picture of baptism. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Don't you know all of our ancestors, all of our fathers were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea? Paul's trying to help us understand that this, this parting of the Red Sea and the people of God passing through the Red Sea 
is fulfilled in water baptism now. Just as they were passing through the waters and they are under the authority of Moses, you and I pass through the waters and we're under the authority of Christ. We are the children of God. But what happens? You know the story. God lifts the protection and the armies of Israel begin to pursue the people of God. They decide, hey, we'll pass through those same waters. And the waters that in one moment brought salvation and deliverance for Israel immediately crash down upon the enemies of God and bring judgment upon them. The same waters that brought salvation bring judgment. And they turn around and they look, and the enemies, the enemies of their soul, Pharaoh, who could represent for us the world in a sense, he could represent the flesh trying to keep us in bondage to sin, he could represent the devil himself, cannot make it through these waters. The people of God are safely brought through the waters, but the enemies of God cannot make it through these waters. They are crushed, they are destroyed. Hallelujah. First Peter, he says a similar thing. He makes a connection between baptism and the flood. He says, eight people passed safely through water. They were in the ark, which was a picture of Christ. And when God decided to judge the wicked and fallen world, what did he send? Water. Rain comes down, water comes up. It's as if the whole entire boat is covered in water and that which is opposed to God, that which is working against the righteousness of God, the people of God, is judged and condemned. But Noah and his family safely pass through the waters. It's a picture for us. Now, yes, we still fight, and yes, we still wage war against the enemy. We've talked about the fact that the kingdom of darkness will remain. But if you've been baptized... You can say with confidence, I have passed through the judgment of God. I am in Christ. My sins are forgiven. When the enemy tries to pull you back into those things, you can say, you couldn't make it through those waters. God brought me safely to the other side, but he has judged you unworthy. You are condemned. I am set free. I belong to God. You have no right or authority over me. And baptism pictures that for us in a powerful and unique way. God is great and greatly to be praised. I want to go ahead and ask the worship team to come back up. Yes, that's basically the whole sermon. But you know what happens? This is why I want to end it this way. Read Exodus 15 today. Read Exodus chapter 15. When the children of Israel pass through the waters safely and their enemies are destroyed, they turn around and they witness this. And Moses breaks out into song. And he says, God has triumphed. God is victorious. God has thrown horse and rider into the sea. God is a man of war. What is he saying? He's saying, we belong to God. He fights our battles. He is for us. Because he's for us, we can stand with confidence. God is going to see us through in this life. And so they begin to worship. They begin to praise. They begin to lift up the name of the Lord. Miriam grabs her tambourine. She begins to play it. She begins to shout. She begins to sing. They get excited. Why? Because they remember the mighty works of God. And so when I preach like this, here's one thing that I want to say. I had a fear that people would say, I need to be rebaptized. No, you don't. If you had faith in Jesus and your baptism was genuine, and just because you grow in your understanding of it doesn't mean you need to go redo it again. Same thing with salvation. What did you know when you got saved? I knew very little. I knew that I was a sinner, that I stood condemned, but that Jesus had paid my sin. 
And so I repented of my sins and I trusted in Christ and God saved me in that moment. And then what happens? You grow and you mature. Similar is baptism. What do you need to know to be baptized? Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. You're ready to be baptized. But then you grow in your understanding of what it means. So you don't need to be rebaptized, but you need to remember. You see, the children of Israel, read through the Psalms. They constantly bring up, we parted. God parted the Red Sea and we crossed through the Red Sea. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Praise God for what He's done. I read this morning in, in my devotions. I thought, God, you're, you're so good. Psalm 66. Psalm 66. I didn't give them this. I'm just going to read it. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet. Because we're going to end this service with praising God for His mighty acts of deliverance, for His salvation, for all that He has done. But Psalm 66 in my Bible reading plan this morning. I'm going to read the first eight verses. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Here it is. He turned the sea into dry ground. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You don't have to wait for the worship team. If you're a saved child of God today, if you've been baptized, I want you to know baptism has power. It has power over the world. It has power over the flesh. It has power over the devil. And you need to remember those things, and you need to speak those things so when the world, the flesh, and the devil come against you, you can stand confidently. I don't know what's on your desk, probably an iPad. It's today's version of an inkwell, but be careful throwing that thing. But if you need to, sometimes I think the devil's in those. But you can throw it across the room, and you can say with confidence, I am baptized. I belong to God, and He belongs to me. He is my defender. He is my protector. He's my deliverer. Jesus is my wisdom. He's my righteousness. He's my sanctification. In one word, he's my salvation. And I've made my pledge of allegiance to Christ. I belong to him. And the waters of baptism, I made it through. But the enemies of God will not make it through. God is worthy to be praised this morning. Right, church family? So let's sing the praises of God this morning.